Good morning. We are so glad that you could be at Central Church of the Nazarene today. We are in this sermon series called Breaker Downer. We get that title, kind of a play on the HGTV series, Fixer Upper. This is Breaker Downer, and we're talking about breaking down the walls, the obstacles, the problems in our life, and how we're going to go about doing them. Well, this week, step three is making it a holy endeavor. Joshua was very clear on his priorities. He was very certain as to the direction they would go. And he made this endeavor, the knocking down the walls of Jericho. It became a holy endeavor. And as it became a holy endeavor, they were able to see God work in amazing, crazy ways in their midst. Last week we read a little bit of it. Let me, let me give you again God's battle plan for Jericho in Joshua chapter six. He begins with this. See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Now let me stop right there. I imagine when Joshua heard that, he thought, wow, this is great. Finally, 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 we're going into attack mode. We've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, and now we get to get in the fight. We get to mix it up. We get to, to conquer the, the, the land that has been promised to us. We get the land flowing with milk and honey. I kind of imagine Joshua at that point kind of a, a Braveheart type of guy. You know, all right, freedom, let's go, that type of thing. Gung-ho, ready to go. But then God goes on to say this. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark and on the seventh day march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets and i imagine our brave heart joshua at that point would say wait a minute you want priests in the battle priests they don't know they don't know they don't know fighting we need fighting men priests with their long you know flowing flowing robes you want them to be, be in the fight? No, we need mean, lean fighting machines. We don't, we don't need priests. Maybe they can wrestle with scripture. Maybe they can, can have a killer argument about how, how you're God and not the Canaanite gods. Maybe they might pack a punch with a great prayer, but we don't, we don't need priests in this battle. Of course, we know that Joshua didn't say those things because Joshua already knew about the miracles of God. He had seen them over and over and over again. And I think Joshua understood that this battle, the walled city of Jericho, this battle, was more of a spiritual battle than a physical battle. The Apostle Paul wrote this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What I think this means is no matter how much your problems seem to be of this world, my career, my finances, my school, my job, my health, my whatever, this world problems. Or maybe tied to a person, my spouse, my parents, my kids, my boss, my teacher, my neighbor, the people that, 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 my friends. This world people, this world problems. Paul is ultimately saying they're really spiritual battles. And the big point, if you get anything from this sermon, the big point of this sermon is this. Your current problem is not going to be solved on your own strength or money or good looks or good luck or ingenuity or cleverness or or, or anything else. No, the only way that it'll be solved to have victory, real victory, is to make it a holy endeavor and draw God into the equation. 
You see, for the ancient people of Israel, as they are getting ready to, to, to go to battle against Jericho, they brought with them, and, and what God was instructing them is to take the Ark of the Covenant along with these, or the priest were to take them along. The Ark of the Covenant was that visible sign of God's presence going with them. And if you've seen, you know, Indiana Jones, and you know the Ark of the Covenant is about the size of the communion table, about, about, looked about like that. It was layered in gold inside where the Ten Commandment tablets, the Aaron's rod, a, a bowl of manna. On the top, the lid, if you will, of the, of the Ark of the Covenant was a kind of a, a, a seat called the mercy seat. And it, it, it represented truly the, the throne of God. And so this, this holy uh, Ark of the Covenant signified to the people that God's presence was with them. There were all sorts of rules in the Old Testament concerning the Ark of the Covenant. We've learned in, in, in Numbers 4 that if they were going to move the Ark of the Covenant, you had to put all sorts of, of animal skins and blankets, if you will, material covering it so no one could see it. In Joshua 3, we're told that when it moved out, the people had to stand back 3,000 uh, 3, feet from it. So, so, you know, that would be, what, 10, 10 football fields, a half a mile. It was a holy, holy thing. We're told it was so holy you couldn't touch it. It had to be transported by priests, only carried by priests. And when we read that all about this Ark of the Covenant, it seems a little strange to us because we don't have anything even like that. And we think some of the rules about, oh, that, those are a little strange, a little extreme. It, that's especially so when you remember the story of Uzzah. You remember his, his tale. The, the, the ark was being brought back. It was on a cart. shouldn't have been on a cart. Remember, priests were supposed to carry it. It was on a cart, and as it was coming back to Jerusalem, Uzzah was there, and one of the oxen stepped in a, a flint-sized pothole, I guess, and, and stumbled. And the ark started to teeter. Kind of like if you saw, if you saw last, last week in the Booners, the Boomer scooter or whatever at the Oklahoma game and the, and, the, and, the, and the wagon fell over. That was what was going on. And so Uzzah slapped his dirty old hand up against the ark. And boom, no more Uzzah. And you think, wow, that was extreme. What in the world? Why, 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 would, why would that even happen? And 2 Samuel 6, 7 says, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah for his irreverent act. The problem was the ark was considered, was considered the, the presence of God. It represented that. It was holy, utterly holy. It wasn't, like, it wasn't just like a box of tomatoes. It wasn't just uh, any, every day. And Uzzah, his irreverent act was, was assuming that the ground would be more, more unholy than his hand. And God was completely, utterly holy. And here's the point. Not only is God completely, utterly holy... But God calls you and me to be his holy people. That God's desire for us is to be holy, to be set apart for his purposes, to be completely, totally his. I think sometimes we think of holiness as this pie in the sky thing that I could never achieve. But God says, be holy as I am holy. In fact, God's desire for you is to be holy. And just like you can't solve your problems all on your own and you can't overcome your obstacles all on your own, you can't make yourself holy all on your own. For that, we need, we need God's work deep, deep, deep in our life. See, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring the whole of Jesus Christ into the whole of our personalities so that the whole love of God might be revealed to the whole world. That's God's plan. 
That's holiness, that's, that's wholeness, it's oneness, it's being more and more like Jesus. Again, that's God's desire for us. His desire is that you and I would be his holy people set apart for him, more and more and more like Jesus. As part of my job, um, one of the joys of my job is I get to go to a lot of weddings. And I always say that I get the best seat in the house. You know, I'm, I'm better than the best seat. The best seat is in the front row and I'm right there next to the bride and the groom. And most always the, the brides have, you know, a white dress and white shoes and white veil and white train. They're usually too worried about the train. It just follows them, but they're usually worried about it. And the bridesmaids are worried about it, but they're always in white, 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 white. And they come down and, you know, brides are always beautiful. Could imagine, you wouldn't dream you know, I, I don't know how much wedding dresses cost these days. I know Carla bought hers off the rack at JCPenney. I don't know too many people that do that anymore. But, but you know, you wouldn't dream of a, of a bride dressed in white from head to toe. You know, going outside before the wedding and, and like a day like today and, you know, running through the mud puddles. She'd never do that. That she, she would never have like a pre-wedding meal of, of spaghetti and meatballs, you know? Especially if she eats like me. There'd be more spaghetti and meatballs on her, on her dress than, than in her stomach. She'd never do that. Why, why, why? Because it, she wants to be perfect. Perfectly white from head to toe. And much in the same way, we're called to be more and more like Jesus. Pure and Holy. And God's desire is not only that you become holy, that he can make you holy, but he can keep you holy. Now, the big question that may be in your mind is, well, how in the world can that happen? Well, the psalmist answers that question. He says this in Psalm 119. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? It's our question. How? How can we live a holy life? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I tell you this often, so often, too often, people come to me and say, Pastor, can I do this and still be all right? Well, does the Bible say anything about such and such? Because I don't read it in the Bible, so can I do that? You know, it's almost like they want to be as, as, as close to the line as they possibly can be and still be okay. Listen, the goal of the Christian walk is not to see how close to the world you can get and still make it to heaven. The goal of the Christian walk is to see how close to Jesus I can be and make a difference here on earth. There's a big difference between those two. And holiness is saying, I want to be next to Jesus. I want to be totally Jesus. And if I get out of line with Jesus, I want to get back in line as I possibly can be, as quick as I possibly can be. And the good news is that God can only make you holy he can keep you holy so that you can stay holy. That's what we're talking about. This is real life, even today, in our culture, God making people holy. We can be holy, we can stay holy. Paul was trying to emphasize that to the Thessalonians. And we think, you know, our culture is terrible. The Thessalonian culture was terrible. It, they had gods all over the place. And what was Paul's instruction to them? He gives them three in kind of rapid order. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. God wants you to be holy. He goes on to say, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. God wants you to be holy. And then get this, Paul said, may God himself, 
the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Not me doing it. I can't make myself holy. God can do it. The one who is faithful will do it. So holiness is God's desire for us. God wants us to be holy. God enables us to be holy. God keeps us holy. That's God's plan for our life. So what happens? We're talking about these obstacles in our lives and, and, and turning those obstacles into a holy endeavor. When obstacles come, and obstacles will come, it doesn't matter if you're a holy person or not. You can be the unholiest, you can be the holiest. Obstacles will still come into your life. We would all agree Jesus was the holiest, and yet it led him to a cross. So obstacles come in our life. But the way we make our troubles into a holy endeavor, again, we're gonna use Joshua's battle plan for, for our direction. The way to make those, those walls or those problems or those situations. The first step is to put God in his proper place. Here's the strategy that, that, that Joshua gives us. He's in verse six. He says, so, so Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets out in front of it. And then he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets and the ark of the, of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest and blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. And all this time, the trumpets were sounding. Imagine if you were, if you were a couple of soldiers inside Jericho's walls. Maybe, maybe there's a crack in the wall and you're peeking outside. We were already told last week by Rahab that the people were melting in fear because of the Israelites. They already knew that they had wiped out the two kings east of the Jordan River. And maybe they saw, maybe they saw the mass of, 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 of people on the other side of the Jordan. And it could have been that they said, whew, we're glad the Jordan River's at flood stage because we got a couple of months to prepare for these guys before they come over. Whoo, are we lucky that it's at flood stage? Whoo, no one, would, I mean, they'd be crazy to try to cross the river then. Of course, we know what happens, you know, God splits the Jordan River and they cross on dry ground. And so if their hearts were melting before that, imagine now they're melting and they peek through the crack in the wall and they see, they see uh, these soldiers all lining and marching ahead of them and then they see those priests with their long flowing robes and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They heard about this thing and they probably didn't understand it. They didn't know all the ins and outs but they knew this. It represented their God and they wiped out the, 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 the two cities on the other side of the Jordan and their God enabled them to walk on flood, uh, across the Jordan River during flood stage. And so if God could do that, probably their 46-foot-tall wall wasn't going to stop them. See, they saw that, 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 that God was determined, that God was in their midst. Even the people behind the wall understood God was in their midst. God was there. God was fighting for them. God was in the proper place. If we want to overcome the situations in our world, we make it a holy endeavor. We put God in his proper place. It's recognizing that God is with us. It's, it's, it's recognizing that God will always be with us. Now, we don't have an Ark of the Covenant that we can spy out. So how do we put God in his proper place? Well, how about this? Psalm 46.10. You know this verse. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's putting God in his proper place. Let's, let's, let's dissect that a little bit. Be still. Stop talking. Turn off your phone. Stop tweeting. Stop commenting. Stop complaining. Stop moaning. Stop negotiating. Be still. Be still and know. Trust. Rest. Relax. Believe. Stop doubting and know. Be still and know that I am God. That, that God Almighty is in control. That God Almighty is our King. He is our hope, our rock, our fortress. An ever-present help in all times of trouble. Our Father, our good shepherd. He will lead me and nourish me and protect me and restore me. Be still and know that I am God, that I am not in this fight alone. It's recognizing that God has a proper place in our life. What does that mean practically? It means you're in your Bible every day. It means you're praying every day. It means you're in church every Sunday. What? Every Sunday? You and I both know you're not going to go to hell for missing church. But you miss, and then it makes it easier to miss again. It makes it easier to miss again. It makes it easier to miss again. And pretty soon, you're gone more than you're here. The average, when I was a kid, back in the old days, I feel so old whenever I say that, get off my lawn. (laughs) The average regular attender, 40 years ago, the average regular attender attended church 50 out of 52 Sundays. They'd be gone, if you were like in our house, you know, you were gone for a couple of weeks on vacation. When we were on vacation, we still went to church. And, and you, you had better be like next to dead if you, you know, to say you were sick and going to miss church. You were there. The average attender now comes 1.3 times every month. Average regular attender. That means three times in two months. Can I just say this? If, if, if you're prone to getting your, sto- your toes stepped on, then, you know, put them underneath your pew. You are not putting God in his proper place if you're coming to church three times in two months. You cannot tell your kids that God is in his proper place if you're only coming to church when you've got nothing better to do and it's raining outside. That is not putting God in his proper place. Putting God in his proper place is saying, God, you have first place in my life. It means I want to be so close to you. I want to be near you. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want anything to come in between you and me. See, Sunday is still the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It isn't Sunday, hashtag fun day. It's still God's day. And we make our battles and our obstacles a holy endeavor when we put God in his proper place. Secondly, we make our our battles and our obstacles a holy endeavor when we begin to visualize ourselves in line with God. Think of the soldiers, those, those Israelite soldiers as they're marching around the the walls of Jericho. They'd gotten their marching orders. Joshua had given them the plan. This is the plan, boys. We're going to march around the city six times. On the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. We're going to shout, and the walls are going to come down. Now, I don't know if that sounded crazy to them. It sounds crazy to me, but they did it, and no one seems to question it. 
Probably because God had already split the, the, the Red Sea or the, the, the Jordan River during flood stage. That seemed crazy too, but there they went, crossed along. God says, do it, let's do it. So they're marching. And he's marching that, you know, when you're in that line, the only one you can see really, you can see the guy in front of you, your neighbor in front of you. There it is, you know, it's Gary in front of me and it's John behind me. And you look behind and then there's this whole line, there's this whole line of soldiers. And imagine you're marching, you're marching, you're marching around the city, you're going around the city, the walls are around. And so as you go and you stare down, you can see way ahead of you, there's some guys, they look like, they must be the priests, they're, they're, not, they're not in battle gear, they're in their long flowing robes, and they got the Ark of the Covenant up on their shoulders. And you see it, and you say, there it is. It's not just me, it's not just you, John, it's not just you, Gary, it's, it's us, and we got God. He split, the, he split the river in flood stage. He helped us fight those two kings over there. He's gonna help us with this battle. Remember, I told you on the first week, the battle belongs to the Lord. We're gonna see that lots and lots. That's what's going on. You see, here's my point. As the men were marching around Jericho, marching that first lap, the next day marching another lap, then marching a third lap, and all the way through, they knew that it wasn't just them marching, that God was in line marching with them. That they could trust, they could trust the plan because God was going with them. Maybe you find yourself in a line, not a battle line, but a, but a battle line. The battle of addiction, the battle of discouragement, the battle of depression, that's the line you're in. Maybe you've got some relationship issues going on under, or, or financial, not enough money line, drinking problem line. Whatever the line that you find yourself marching in, whatever that struggle is, Visualize this, remember this. You're not alone. God is marching with you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I think that means I'll never leave you or forsake you when you're in deep personal problems or have deep personal pain. In fact, I think that means especially when you're in having deep personal problems and especially when you have deep personal pain, I will never leave you. I think that's what that's talking about. You see, when, when we see God in the trenches with us, when we see God in the, in the muck and the mire and all the mess of our lives, when we recognize that he is with us, when we focus on him instead of some of those other problems, that's when miracles start to happen. See, it's so easy, it is so easy to get distracted into missing God at work among us. Here's your shameless plug for the, for the hour. You know, I wrote a book on chronic pain uh, six years ago now. Um, I'll be teaching a class on that in the three Wednesdays of November before, Christ, or before Thanksgiving. You are welcome to join Wednesday nights. We'll be teaching on, on, on chronic pain. Now, if you're new to Central, here's my chronic pain resume. Uh, 12 years ago, I had a subarachnoid hemorrhage. If you don't know what that is, 50% of people that have that die, 10% don't even make it to the hospital, they just die. Clearly, I did not die. But since then, I've had chronic migraines. And so um, I am blessed to have between 15 and 20, depending on the month, uh, migraines a month. And, and, and so that's, that's, that's my resume. It's easy when you're dealing with chronic pain, when you're dealing with something constant, like a migraine, that you become obsessed with that 
that you're constantly seeking God and saying, you've got you to remedy this, you've got to remedy this, you've got to remedy, you've got to heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And when or if God doesn't bring that remedy, if there's no kaboom, you know, miracle, it's very easy to become bitter or angry or depressed or feel like God somehow cheated you. I was convinced. You say, well, why weren't you suicidal during those times? I was convinced, absolutely convinced, and I still am convinced that God would either heal me or he would give me the grace to, to, to endure whatever I was going through. And God was, God was very, very faithful with that. I knew that somehow, some way, God was going to work through that. And when we make things a holy endeavor, when we recognize that it's not just me fighting this, whatever this is. For me, it was chronic pain. When it's not just me fighting it, but I've got God on my side. He's in the trenches with me. Then, then you can focus on him rather than that issue or that problem. But again, it's so easy to get distracted. And the last one, to make it a holy endeavor. Remember that victory follows holiness. You see that in Joshua 3. That's when they were getting ready to, to cross the Jordan River. And in verse 5, Joshua tells the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What's it mean, consecrate yourself? Some versions say sanctify yourself. It says uh, set yourself apart. It goes back to that idea of we want to be holy, close to God, holy, holy, holy. Now all of us would say we want God to do the amazing among us, Right? Every one of us, we wouldn't be in church if we didn't think God could do amazing things. And I've seen God do amazing things. He does amazing things in hospitals. He's done amazing things in homes and churches. He's done amazing. I've seen some of you drive. He does amazing things on the highway. You know, you're still here. I'm still here. I know God does amazing things. And we all want that. How does that happen? If we want God to work in amazing ways over those obstacles and those problems and those situations, we put God in his proper place. We, we decide that, that we're going to be in line with him and that nothing is going to shake us, move us from that holy endeavor, being more and more and more like Jesus. And some of us are facing some pretty big hurdles. There's some pretty big walls surrounding us. They may have caused us great fear and worry. But Lord, help us to shrink those things down to size in light of you. Help us to follow your plans and to make it a holy endeavor recognizing that when we are, are putting you in your proper place, when we are in line with you, when we are seeking holiness in our heart and life, that's when amazing things happen and we can always trust you. So Lord, help us, help us today, help us to make a difference in our world this week. In Jesus' name, amen.